Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Fabulous Pelton Cast. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Justin Carcino. And it is time for our year in Seattle sports review. Tristan, you like to talk about the importance of during a thrilling win, seeing the darkness. Well, in 2021 in Seattle sports, we saw a lot of darkness. I mean, consider that when we recorded this podcast last year, obviously we're in a better place to some extent, despite the current surge because of the fact that vaccination is widespread. But from a sports standpoint, Last year when we recorded the year in review, the Storm, the Seattle held the WNBA championship with the Storm, the MLS Western Conference championship with the Sounders, the NFC West championship with the Seahawks, the Pac-12 North championship, technically, with the Huskies, and the Seattle Kraken had never lost a game. Wow. A very different picture just one short year later. Yeah, Kraken. Um <laughs> I I mean, say what you will about this. I think we've highlighted pretty clearly you know, when this moment started because there was some goodness that happened early on in the season. Uh, you know, we saw over the summer the Seattle Mariners having their best season uh, in a while, especially rebuilding around a group of young players. There was some steam happening. And this fall, all of that steam cratered completely. There was one weekend in October when the Seattle Mariners were eliminated from playoff contention early early October, they were eliminated even before they were able to play uh, a meaningful last game of the year, right? Well, to complete, they they were eliminated mid-game. Mid-game. And from that moment forward, pretty much anything that could go wrong for Seattle sports has gone wrong. Even the scenarios where it looked like something would go right for Seattle sports. We we had coming out of nowhere, UW men's soccer, right? Reaching the precipice and then losing. You have the Seattle Sounders, right? Uh, in the MLS playoffs, stopping a penalty kick and then leaving their line too early. Like the the ways that things went wrong for Seattle sports this season were pretty miraculous in nature. Uh, and I think we've all acknowledged the higher power that is existing around Seattle sports. <laughs> but this crack and curse that has led us through the, the second half of the Seattle sports season has been complete. And it has affected every single sports team that we pay attention to. Uh, and, and really, the best part about that curse is that when you see the darkness, you know that light is right after that. We've talked about this quite a bit. We documented, what was the year, 2012 or 8? 2008. 2008. We were right on the precipice of really a solid decade of Seattle sports after that. So, I'd say, despite the loss of the Sonics, an unprecedented decade of success in Seattle sports. Th this, is, this year was the reckoning uh, to come after that and maybe it's because we added a new team had to pay a little bit of a price for that um, but otherwise thank god that there are only there's less than a week left of 2021 because 2022 cannot be worse <laughs> famous famous last words 
Yes, there's only so many sporting events left in 2021 with cracking games continuing to get postponed by the moment. Uh, do we want to start off with our top 10 Seattle sports stories of the year or the season? Is your if apparently taken to call it 2021? The season? The it's 20... like a Pelton cast season. This is our, we've got our season finale coming up later this week. <laughs> yeah, sure. The season. We're, we're closing out season. I don't, I don't know which season this is for us. Too many. Do we have any honorable mentions first? We have several honorable mentions. Oh, I including... love an honorable mention. You already honorably mentioned UW men's soccer reaching the college cup final for the first time in program history before losing. Uh, Lori, that wasn't Lori... wasn't number one. On our, on our list? On our sports stories of the year. It was not number one on our Somehow, sports stories. Literally the, year. the most successful sports team in the city of Seattle, but okay. Well, we we can debate the relative merits of different cups. There was there was one cup that was brought home in the city of Seattle this year. It's not even it's not number one on my list. It's not the best Seattle sports stories. It's the biggest Seattle sports stories. Huh. Uh, we also have Laura Harvey's midseason return as OL Reign head coach was honored as NWSL Coach of the Year for her work strictly in the second half of the season and not entirely because so many NWSL coaches were fired last season for misconduct or allowed to resign. I guess in many cases is in the, the reins. Uh, the Seattle Storm visiting the White House, the first WNBA team to do so since 2016 to celebrate their 2020 championship. First time they'd made it to the White House since 2010 uh, or 2011, celebrating the 2010 championship. UW women's basketball hiring Tina Langley to replace Jody Wynn as head coach. The Seahawks hiring Shane Waldron as offensive coordinator to replace Brian Schottenheimer. Uh, the Seahawks extending Jamal Adams. Uh, a decision that will will probably come up on the podcast in years to come. And then lastly, uh, one of the more infamous moments of 2021, Kevin Mather resigning as M's president and CEO after tape of his speech to, what was it, like the Rotary Club? Bellevue Rotary <laughs> like, Club? Of it's all like, places to go down. <laughs> truly, truly an amazing implosion. Now to our top 10. Number 10. The Sounders and O.L. Reign play a doubleheader at Lumen Field, playing both Portland teams on August 29th in front of the largest crowd ever for an NWSL game with the Reign winning 2-1 over the Thorns and the Sounders before the Sounders lost 2-0 in the nightcap. That doubleheader that day paved the way for the Reign's full-time move to Lumen Field in 2022, which you can consider part of this general sports story. Yeah, and I, and I think... <clears throat> Something that I would assume that they're going to do pretty much every year from here on out. Yeah, they've um, talked about doing it in the future for sure. It, especially with the rain moving there permanently, it makes a lot of sense. And it was a great day. It, it was one of those games where it's like uh, you kind of have to be there. E even though it was under the, the cloud still of coming out of quarantine, I think it was the second uh, professional sporting event that I'd been to at that point. But the crowd was awesome. The energy, the, the whole experience was awesome. There were some things that they had to figure out. As the, logistics, yeah. the Sounders, and I think eventually they got there. It took them a second with some fan encouragement. Um, but, you know, it's nice to see that something wins out over capitalism. The The <laughs> fan voice wins out over capitalism. People are allowed to leave in between matches. That's correct. And uh, a, a fine meal at ST Hooligans in between. Uh, number nine on our Seattle Sports Stories of the Year, Storm coach Dan Hughes retires midseason and is replaced by Noel Quinn. 
Uh, he was returned for 2021 after not being cleared medically to coach for the Storm in the 2020 Wubble season, but decided on May 30th to retire after just six games. Quinn, who had served as acting head coach for one game when Hughes left the team to attend his son's college graduation, was promoted after both playing and serving as an assistant coach on Storm championship teams. All right, our number eight Seattle sports story, a pair of UW losses to bookend the football season. The loss to Montana in the season opener, a shocking loss, the first in-program history to an FCS opponent, and then in the finale, the Apple Cup streak snapped Washington State winning their first Apple Cup since 2012, snapping a seven-game losing streak that dated all the way back to the Steve Sarkeesian era. Now, the good news here is, is I mentioned this on Twitter, but for the listeners not, not on Twitter who didn't see it, your bold prediction all the way back, not last year, back in 2019 pre-pandemic, wow. was that Jimmy Lake would win his first Apple Cup to clinch the Pac-12 North for the Huskies wow. en route to the Rose Bowl. I was going to say, I was kind of shocked that I was uh, yeah, boldly that, I mean, predicting the, that. That's not the bold prediction itself. It was all part of the larger bold prediction. But somehow that bold prediction will never be determined. Pretty because incredible. Jimmy Lake never coached at Apple Cup, not to I spoil mean, a future he, story on this list. He personally was undefeated in Apple Cups. <laughs> it's, it's so give, me, give Jimmy Lake credit there. But not even as head coach, I'm saying as a coordinator, right? He never yes, lost to Wazio. Yes, he was he was undefeated. Wow. When he comes back as the defensive coordinator of Alabama or wherever, he probably won't lose to Wazoo either. Um, uh, Nick Rolovich also undefeated in Apple Cups. That, that was not a <laughs> Seattle sports story, so it didn't crack the list, but it's also kind of, a notable story. Kind of hilarious. Uh, but, the, you know, I think the loss of the beginning meant a lot more than the loss at the end. You know, that will probably come up later in the sports stories that Jimmy likes firing, so we can talk about that then. But that loss to Montana was the first sign that it was like something is wrong here. And we definitely saw it throughout the season, but I'll wait till we get to uh, Jimmy like a little bit later. I mean, we rationalized hard in the wake of that Montana loss. And, you know, I was at Michigan the next week and talking to uh, my friend who was in the student section the day that Michigan lost to Appalachian state, famously the first ranked team is UW was ranked at that point amazing as it is to believe to lose to an fcs opponent and we looked at all those teams that went on to decent seasons despite losing their opener to the fcs an fcs opponent the huskies are not part of that list all right number seven story the sounders lose in the league's cup final they reached that final on september 22nd in las vegas by beating a pair of liga mx opponents tigres and santos laguna at lumen field before losing 3-2 to leon in a pretty thrilling final match Wow. I kind of forgot about some of the losing this year. That's the impressive <laughs> thing about the losing that happened in Seattle sports is that I mean, I've forgotten the losing. I mean, there's no shame in losing to a very good Liga MX team. Still, this is, I, has there been a positive story so far? I, I mean, the, the Sounders already doubleheader is a, Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, story. fine. The Sounders the, did lose part of that doubleheader, though. Well, that's a good point. So what we didn't get to is that uh, in front of a large crowd, an excited crowd, they lost to their hated rival Portland in a derby oh, match. Oh dear, it's true. But they, the storm the, coaching change is more like that. That was that's not a negative story. That's a neutral yeah, story. Neutral. Uh, 
Well, an unambiguously positive step at the time was the return of fans to Seattle sports venues. That's our number six story of the year. After more than a year, the Mariners home opener on April 1st was the first sporty event in Seattle with ticketed fans since the beginning of pandemic restrictions. Phased reopening eventually brought back full crowds, albeit this fall with a requirement of vaccination or negative COVID test and a mask requirement, which continues to be followed occasionally. Come back to that one later. We will go because there's a bold prediction about it. Whoa! <laughs> I like that you're surprised it was your bold prediction. Oh. <laughs> All right, number five story <laughs> I mentioned. There was a cup that was won in Seattle sports this year, and that was the inaugural Commissioner's Cup oh, in the WNBA, huge. won by the Seattle Storm. The league added the Commissioner's Cup this season, taking the top teams from each conference based on results against conference opponents home and away prior to the Olympic break. The Storm won the West and faced the Connecticut Sun in a neutral site final in Phoenix on August 12th, just days after starters Super, Jewel Lloyd, and Brianna Stewart all won gold medals with USA Women's Basketball in Tokyo. Five Storm players played in the Olympics. No Connecticut Sun players did. They were considered the favorite because they were so well-rested, but the Storm dominated this game. Brianna Stewart was named MVP as the Storm won the game and 30000 per player. Congrats on the 30000 per player. <laughs> that is the extent of anybody caring about the Commissioner's Cup. Oh, it was, it was not... Not the most public event. Uh, the fact that they were streaming it on Amazon Prime, which is not a primary league partner, you know, the Amazon Prime went a long ways toward putting together that prize pool, but uh, uh, still an exciting moment nonetheless, and something the players certainly cared a lot about because of that that prize pool. So the NBA is talking about making a, a midseason cup, right? And it seems like there's it's gaining traction or whatever. Woj, that's what Woj reported. My colleague Woj reported on Christmas Day that uh, the plan is to play it and wrap it up prior to Christmas. And obviously, the WNBA Commissioner's Cup is a proving ground for this concept. It's a proof of concept for it. And the way that players will get on board and become excited about it if you put enough money at stake i think it's tell, tell me what is the point in the nba are they are they going are they games that are going to count toward the overall season record i think it'll probably be similar to the wnba where uh you'll have take regular season games the the last version of the the most recent version of the proposal i had seen had that same thing where you take games against I think maybe division opponents in that case that other that are part of the regular season schedule, but they're specifically designated as cup games and branded that way. And then you only play a couple of extra additional games with the cup. And what would you get? What would the incentive be? Is it just cash for the players? That uh, one million per player for the winning team, according to Woj's report. And then uh, mentions the success and exceptions of the play-in tournament appears to have built a bridge for the league to intensify plans for the event. Fair so, enough. I mean, I, I definitely I ran into the individual at the NBA <laughs> league cat? office. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's fine. This is the first time that I've heard cat, cats. I've heard tell of cats meowing. It's the first time I've heard it myself. Wow. Uh, the the individual at the league office, Evan Wash, who sort of oversees these sorts of things. I ran into him at Summer League the week of the Commissioner's Cup final. Name he was dropping very excited. again. Yeah, very excited to go down to Phoenix and check that out uh, because, again, the proof of concept. And, you know, it's not going to be the last in-season tournament for sure. All right, number four, Seattle Sports Story. You mentioned this earlier. The Mariners playing two game 162. 
their pursuit of the uh, the second wild card went to the final day of the regular season as they hosted the Angels in front of a sellout crowd. Sellout crowds all three games for that weekend series. A lot of excitement. I watched a full nine inning baseball game in its entirety. Uh, other results, as you mentioned, eliminated the Mariners before the end of their 7-3 to loss, but still the biggest weekend for baseball in Seattle since they played for the wild card on the final day of the 2014 season. And a lot of baseball fans coming out of the woodworks on this podcast. <laughs> Two of them. Uh, <laughs> some some earlier than others. It was fun to watch, though. This was a fun, it was a fun team, and it was a fun season that the Mariners played, ultimately. And I think... Baseball has a real problem in that many teams play so, months of meaningless games. And I think it's something where... Sometimes maybe years should, of meaningless games. Maybe they should add a cup to the end. Um, <laughs> there you go. But ba- basically, the way that it's structured, like playing a game that a team is incentivized to win in September is huge. And ha- having every single one of those games for that last month matter was massive for both attendance and then also for interest in the team at that point. Cause usually September is when people stop paying attention to the Mariners and it becomes Seahawks um, basically completely dominated. And that didn't happen this year. The Mariners definitely, I think were the, there was that moment that morning where the Seahawks and the Mariners were both playing at the same time. And I can't remember who the Seahawks were playing that week. 49ers. Oh, okay. That, that was the week that Trey Lance got, got to play. Um, And that day, the Mariners game definitely was a bigger deal than the Seahawks game, which is something that does not happen in September and October very often. Nope. Well, now let's see the darkness. Our number three Seattle sports story. The not the darkness. It was losing, not making the playoffs. It's still a thrilling outcome. This is like, again, it's the most Mariners shit. It's like we have a statue (laughs) contributed to winning the ALDS. And the positive news story for the Mariners from the last year was not making the playoffs. Coming close to making the playoffs. Hang the banner for that one. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> the, can, can they have a statue of coming close to making the playoffs <laughs> a, a statue a, for coming playing in game 162 meaningfully it's not a statue it's a model of t-mobile park full of fans yes that displays it and then you can see all of the very long concession lines because they're not prepared to have that many people at the final weekend of the season Anyways, our number three sports story of the year. Russell Wilson suffers finger injuries that require surgery. He hit the finger on his throwing hand during the second half of the Seahawks' October 7th game against the LA Rams. And after attempting to play one series through the injury, Wilson left the game that the Seahawks lost and subsequently underwent surgery. He missed four weeks as the Seahawks lost three in a row with Geno Smith at quarterback before blowing out the Jacksonville Jaguars. Wilson returned after the Seahawks bye week, but continued to struggle with the team now headed to its first below 500 finish since drafting Wilson in 2012 and eliminated from the playoffs after today's frustrating 22, 20, I don't know what the final was, 22-21 loss to the Bears. 25-24. That sounds about right. And it's kind of incredible that we'll be able to look back. We will be able to pinpoint this one moment in time. And no matter what happens, something seems like it's going to happen with the Seahawks team, especially as they keep losing. One way or another, there's going to be a power structure at the organization that has shifted. And to, to realize that we can come all the way back to Russell Wilson's hand on a deep ball hitting Aaron Donald's helmet 
of all fucking people that it is Aaron Donald who has yes, to do it. Yeah. I mean, just imagine. Obviously, they play more games against Aaron Donald than most defenders in the league. But uh, and also Russell Wilson is pressured by Aaron Donald more than he's pressured than any other defender in the league. But Russell Wilson gets pressured a lot. And that this moment had to happen against Aaron Donald, who is straight up kryptonite to Russell Wilson and the Seahawks is it's pretty incredible. And I think, again, when we're looking back on this season five, ten years from now, because this will be an important inflection point one way or another. It's all going to come back to this one moment on a Thursday night against the L.A. Rams. Otherwise, if this hadn't happened, maybe we have a 10 and 7 season. Maybe things remain the same. You know, like this is this is going to change things in a way that probably wouldn't have happened otherwise. So just super fast. And that I was in the stadium and had no idea. Yeah, I remember our DM thread about it. That's one of those times where it's not good to be at the game. If you look closely... You can actually pinpoint the exact moment the Seahawks organization breaks into. Number two story. Mostly sad. A little, some positivity at the end. UW fires Jimmy Lake as head coach and hires Kalen DeBoer as his replacement. Lake was fired less than two years after being named Chris Peterson's replacement as the Husky season spiraled with a 4-6 and six record and a suspension after Lake hit player Ruperake Fuavi on the sidelines and bad press after Lake's misguided statement about UW and Oregon not being recruiting rivals. Lake coached just 13 games after being promoted from defensive coordinator uh, a truly incredible implosion in a rapid period of time. I mean, it's it's funny because we can already start this. I don't I don't think either of us thought that Jimmy Lake was the right coach for UW in that moment, uh, and at this moment, right? Wait, at the moment he was fired. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't think anybody was unjust in doing that. However, no. I think there is. Jimmy Lake will be a good head football coach. And I think the situation got the better of him that he was put into. Uh, And I think he had to learn a little bit. He wasn't maybe quite ready. And I think the way that that situation was set up was super unfortunate for everybody involved that it had to happen here and it had to happen so quickly. Ultimately, I think it's better if, if Jimmy Lake is not the right coach, it's better that it happened when it happened rather than having another season or another two seasons the, the Huskies right now in this moment still have a solid roster and were able to pivot very quickly. That pivot to positivity that we had with Kalen DeBoer and bringing in Michael Penix Jr., like it's shocking how fast that actually happened. Uh, and it feels like they're set up, in, again, in the short term, Husky football doesn't feel like they're in, they're in store for a bottoming out necessarily. Uh, and I think a huge part of that is due to the university ultimately moving on from Jimmy Lake so swiftly. Otherwise, if they were running it back with Jimmy Lake next season, I think we'd go into that season saying, well, they were young, maybe things will turn around, but pretty unsure whether we believed in Jimmy Lake as a head coach. As it is, I think Jimmy yeah. Lake is going to go somewhere as a coordinator. Talked about this done. He's going to go somewhere as a coordinator. He's going to basically rebuild the brand and I think ultimately will end up as a good head football coach. You would be hoping he hired someone like Ryan Grubb as his offensive coordinator. The first to coming here with Caitlin DeVore. All right, our number one Seattle sports story of the year. Seattle Kraken debut 
and brand new Climate Pledge Arena a little over three years after the Golden State Warriors Sacramento Kings preseason game closed out the key. The completely rebuilt venue opened on October 23rd for the first home game of the expansion Kraken, who had played their first game at Las Vegas as part of a season opening road trip. The culmination of the Kraken building their roster through the expansion draft, hiring Dave Haxtell as their inaugural head coach. A couple of things we didn't mention separately as stories. Ultimately, a new franchise, this building that is going to be a home for Seattle winter sports for a long period of time, the most important long-term thing that happened in Seattle in 2021. Yeah. I mean, we talk about this when it comes to basketball all the time. And and for some hockey and basketball, they're linked even irrelevant of I, just as a byproduct of playing at the same time in a lot of the same places. And uh, in Seattle, those two sports will forever be linked. But we talked about this a lot with basketball, where there was a dialogue going around where it's like, who even cares about the Sonics or whatever? Having a team is the most important thing. Even if that team is bad, even if they have bad ownership, no matter what, if they have bad players for a period of time, none of that matters. Being in the game is the most important thing. And that's what the Kraken set up, uh, which is they gave hope to a number of hockey fans throughout the city of Seattle. They are nurturing a whole generation of young hockey fans that are coming up in the city of Seattle. Um, baby, baby fantasy genius included. We'll see. I'm skeptical how long it's going to stick. I still think hockey's probably going to be a little bit of a niche sport. I don't think it's going to be a mainstream sport in Seattle unless the Kraken get very, very good very quickly. Uh, but it's probably still going to be a bit of a bandwagon sport. Uh, but being in the game, that's what changes it. They have the chance to get good. They have the chance to play in a Stanley Cup. They they have those opportunities by existing. And I think that's the hugest part. And for people who are hockey fans throughout Seattle, having the opportunity to see these players who are playing on the other teams around the league come in. Because that's, I think, for me, that one of the most difficult things about not having... It's the, it's the piece of watching the draft lottery or whatever. It's like you're either in or you're in the lottery usually, for the most part. One way or another, you kind of care about something around that time of year. There's a lot of steam over the summer. But also, that like going to a game every single night and seeing exciting players throughout the league being like, you got to see this whole generation of basketball players having that for hockey and a whole generation now building up and being able to be like, I've seen these players, right? Connor McDavid or whatever in person without having to tra to travel to Western Canada or to the California, Bay? Vegas, places like that, yeah. you know, Bas basically a flight or crossing the border. So, I think it's a huge thing. Yeah, I mean, I had that experience seeing Ovechkin for the first time in person. I mean, seeing hockey in the first game in person. I've never been to a hockey game in my life until I went to a Kraken game last month and now have been to three of them. And then also, like, I, I played Baby Fantasy Genius on Christmas Day in NHL, since that's my favorite game, to play against him. And I'm playing the Avalanche, and I know their players because I had gone to the Kraken Avalanche game. So definitely an element of that. And, and the other piece is... Say what you will about the team and the organization and the infrastructure. There are things they've done wrong as a team to start out this franchise. However, the arena itself, they did a very good job at. It is an extraordinarily nice arena. Uh, and it, it feels like the sight lines, like again, if it were basketball, as I go to more hockey games, seeing it from all these different places, uh, I think is going to be huge. And having that in the center of Seattle Center, I think it's, it's an awesome piece to be there and to bring energy to the area. Uh, they did a, a phenomenal job at building that arena. 
again, there's so much more that surrounds that decision, that baggage that goes into it. But ultimately, the arena as a place to go to, as a place to congregate, to watch hockey, they did a very good job at. Yeah, I'm excited to be able to be there on a more regular basis with the storm season in 2022. Uh, Their homecoming is definitely something I'm looking forward to in the next year. So we've done our top 10 sports stories of the year, our next tradition. It's time to name our sports figure of the year. At some point, this is going to become too long of a list to read out. But to recap, going back to the inaugural season of the Pelton cast in 2013, we have, I picked Pete Carroll that year. You picked Russell Wilson. In 2014, I picked Marshawn Lynch. You picked Richard Sherman. In 2015, I picked Russell Wilson and you picked Michael Bennett. In 2016, we were unanimous on Chris Peterson. In 2017, I picked Todd Tim Lightwicky. I have it down here, Todd Lightwicky, but I'm, I, it was Tim for sure. Uh, and you picked Clint Dempsey. In 2018, we were unanimous on Sue Bird. In 2019, I picked Brian Schmetzer, and you picked Megan Rapinoe. 2020, we were unanimous on Brianna Stewart. Now it's time to add something to this list. Wow. You want to go first? Oh, with an, another... I thought you were adding something to this list. No, an, another person. Uh, you should go first. I, re- I really struggled with this one this year. Same. Except I realized there was an obvious answer. Wow. We talked about it right at the top. It was the thing that defined Seattle sports in 2021 for better or almost exclusively for worse. There is no... You, you referenced it as a higher power how could this not be the sports figure of the year? The curse is wow. the sports figure of the year. Wow. It's like the time that time put you as their person of the year on their cover. That's, that's actually hilarious. So you're going with the curse. The curse. That's why I said something to the list, not someone. Wow. Okay. Do you have anything more on the curse? I, I think I think the curse is pretty well established. Now, we, one thing we didn't talk about for posterity and legacy's sake you refer to it exclusively as the Kraken curse almost, but it could be the Coldplay curse and it could be the Macklemore curse, the Coldplay curse, because they opened Climate Pledge Arena as the first official uh, concert there the night before the Kraken's home opener against the Vancouver Canucks. And then Macklemore, because the Macklemore banner has been has been lost from the key arena rafters. We don't know where it is. It's not to be found. I think, he's, I think he's been Climate cursed Pledge also. Arena. He opened up a golf clothing company. Oh, um, <laughs> it's been a long pandemic, people. Um, I mean, what can I say? I, the curse has been all powerful this fall. I, I don't know if I can get there. I mean, this is the sports star of the year award. Sports figure. Sports, sports figure. figure. There's already a, there's already a sports star of the year award. We don't want any okay. copyright infringement here. The, the Seattle sports figure of the year. So the curse being the figure. Uh, it's kind of incredible because I I feel like it was said sort of offhandedly. You mentioned that Coldplay was going to be opening up the arena, <laughs> and I said when this team is cursed, we're going to say that it's a curse because of Coldplay. And it turns out I was a little bit wrong. A little bit, in true Tristan fashion, a little bit wrong and a little bit right at the same oh, time. Oh, there's, there's going to be a few of those in the bold predictions. But it wasn't just the Kraken who were cursed. It was all of Seattle sports from that moment forward. Uh, the curse has been defined in many different ways, but ultimately it has been a long, 
sports fall for the city of Seattle. I mean, fuck. The one thing that was going well in Seattle sports is currently on strike. <laughs> right? I mean, the, even the teams that did well during the season, like the Storm had a good season. The Sounders had a very good regular season. Massive injuries going into the playoffs. Really makes you think, does it? I, I do want to say, by the way, one thing. I think the curse, obviously injuries are a real life thing and not a joking matter. I, I think the curse should be reserved for less serious things than like Omicron and, and another wave <laughs> of the pandemic. I don't think we can attach that. Well, to the it curse. has to be Seattle specific, right? Like I, I'm, that's the thing about the, yeah, the, the Omicron variant is not, definitely not Seattle specific. That's a worldwide thing. So I don't feel like the Kraken curse, like that would be giving too much power to the Kraken and to the curse. If you were to say that it was causing coronavirus variants. Well, we also didn't mention, by the way, you, you suggested this Pelton cast tweet that Coldplay has announced that their last album as a group will be in 2025. So when they break up, does that potentially end the curse? Curse is, the curse is real. I hope it I hope it ends before then. Okay, so I I had a couple of thoughts here for this because I really racked my brain on who this could be. I mean, also not not remembering who I'd given it to in the past. Uh, <laughs> I made it a little bit more difficult, but but I I could not decide between two answers here. Oh, is it a tie? They're both they're both pretty circuitous paths. Firstly, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a fucking Time magazine out here. The Seattle Sports Figure of the Year for 2021 was you, the fan. Wow. Wow. Because both did Time style. Well, ultimately, the most important thing that happened in Seattle sports this year was getting fans back into arenas. This wasn't specific to Seattle. Obviously this happened nationally, but the way that it was, there was a lot of places where the fans were just there the entire time. The fans so there, there was a difference, but the way that this happened. And I think I want to say call out specifically the city of Seattle, uh, that this process worked of getting fans back, I think was very inspiring. And there obviously were moments where you're like, wow, I wish that this crowd was louder or more invested or whatever. But the process to get into, to go to sporting events in the city of Seattle, for the most part, was more difficult than it was in many places throughout the country. Basically, every single place throughout the country. There was a small handful of other places with vaccine requirements. And the fans in the city of Seattle... I mean, you look at going to a Kraken game, you need to have an app. You need to be registered, like, vaccine don't need, cards. Don't need to have the app. All the tickets are digital, at the very least, right? They don't have yes. paper tickets, do they? I don't think anyone has paper tickets anymore. Okay, well, but, like, it, it's not that simple to do. You need to register your vaccine card through them to show that proof, to get through. Like, there are steps, there are checks and balances. For Husky football, we had to go into, not everybody did this, obviously, but, like, we're going into heck ed beforehand and getting a wristband before going into the game. There's extra layers and processes on top of this. Most importantly, assuming that everybody followed the rules, uh, people were going and getting vaccinated before going to these events, or if they weren't vaccinated, going and getting a negative test. And having that requirement in place i think it was starting september 21st i want to say around well, that point it was there was various different phased in dates 
depending on the team, you'll note that the Mariners who played into October, as you mentioned earlier, never put it into place. Hopefully it will be next year. Maybe there'll be a baseball season. But fans still showed up en masse, sold these games out, uh, came to these events the same way that they were pre-pandemic, again, risking their health. And what we saw was, I haven't heard about any sort of outbreak attached to basically any professional sporting event, uh, but specifically in the city of Seattle, masking or not, obviously understanding that, that the fans weren't as masked as maybe you would like them to be at sporting events, but like still going through that process and getting there, getting back into these stadiums, showing their commitment to gathering together as, as fans, as humans to go into these spaces. It's an important thing that we do as people. And it showed me that it's a necessary part of life doing this, gathering in these places. Like we've set up our lives in these ways. We've set up personal and emotional relationships through these teams. And that's why it's important, right? There's people who I see, or it's like the Chris, who I go to Seahawks games with, I'm not seeing him that often outside of going to Seahawks games. And it's like knowing that you have on the calendar eight or nine times a year to get together to talk about everything that's going on in life and have it be around a football team. Like any, any reason that you would say that that sports don't add a positive to the city, right? That's completely wrong. Like this is a huge and positive thing. It's horseshit. Nick Licata. That's what it is. Horseshit. But, but there's other people who also criticize like the sports themselves. Like it's a thing that happens and having this opportunity as a gathering place, as people to go to, to get together. Like it's more, it's about more than just the sporting event itself. And that's what I think ultimately this crack and curse taught us is you have to care about going to something more than just care about the outcome of it because really it is the process of doing it it's the hanging out beforehand it's the talking during the games the doing the thing it's the like going and waiting in lines and shit like that all of it it's a choice to do it and ultimately it is a fun and unique thing that we get to do as fans and to have that taken away to see those highlights of this one season without fans it's still pretty dystopian and seeing people back in these buildings they're supporting people and doing it for the most part, as far as we know, relatively safely, I think was the most important thing that we as fans did in the year 2021. And fans in the city of Seattle in particular went to great lengths to do that, showed up, still were loud at many events and supported their team and got us back to a certain level of normalcy that didn't exist beforehand. And when you were there, being there at the first Seahawks game or whatever, right? Against the Titans. It was like, everything feels normal again. All of this feels normal again. That whole 18 months that we'd spent prior, it was like, this This was something, it was a little bit like washed away in our memories. It was like when you have a baby and you forget about it. You're there, you're watching the Huskies or the Seahawks or the Kraken and not Husky basketball. Nobody was there, sadly. Um but you're there and watching these teams and everything felt normal after all that we'd been through through these months. And I think that was a really special thing that we did as fans in 2021. All right. What else did you settle on is sports figure <laughs> of the year besides you, the fan here. This is a specific person long overdue for credit. Alex Rodriguez. <laughs> It's Mariners legend, Alex Rodriguez, to you. And also, sure. 
Minnesota Timberwolves future owner Alex Rodriguez to you. And what we got from this Alex Rodriguez purchase of the Minnesota Timberwolves is, again, it's all about a glimmer of hope. And we got a glimmer of hope. If there is an ownership group around the NBA, there's no offense to the Minnesota Timberwolves, if the NBA should expand, but it seems as though the villains inside the league office are not wanting to do that. And if what it's going to take is a relocation of a team, having a, a struggling team in the Midwest where there are quite a few teams already, having an owner with ties to the city of Seattle, it, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out where the destination would be should the Timberwolves want to move. Uh, and for that, we're, we're, giving, we're giving 75% to, to you, the fan, 25% to Alex Rodriguez. You gave Tim Laiwiki in like 2017. So yeah, they, the team was here. They announced the team. I guess the team, they may not. In the NHL, it's easy it, to get a team. Doc, I could get a team in Renton, Washington if I wanted to. They, they're desperate that. for teams. A Rod's doing work here. A Rod A-Rod could potentially move a team in a place that it is hard to move a team and where they don't give out teams to any interested, invested cities. That it, it is a deal to get an NBA team. And for that, we give A-Rod uh, 25%. Also, his time as a Mariner. I mean, freaking in the background of the slide. Like, come on, 356. Are you going to tell me that he didn't deserve a sports figure of the year already? He he is eligible for the Baseball Hall of Fame for the first time in 2022. So that's going to be an interesting subplot to watch in the coming weeks here. I do not endorse any of these takes because I don't believe in Seattle sports fans we should be sitting there picking over other teams, teams, they're, those it's, are their teams, teams. It's not on that though. It's not, it's not our fault. It's the situation we're being put into as a byproduct of the NBA's league office. The people who are the issue are not the people of the city of Minneapolis. They are fine people and they have a fine basketball team. However, Adam Silver and the league office are the problem. And if they're not going to, re- if they're not going to expand to Seattle, which they have shown that they have no real interest in doing. Not at the current time. Then relocation has to be it. And ultimately, I don't want that to happen. I want Adam Silver to see the light. Hopefully, what happens is there's a threat of relocation and then an expansion team awarded. And even then, you'd have to say, A-Rod pushed the issue there. So one way or another, Alex Rodriguez is 25% the Seattle Sports Figure of the Year in 2021. Well, I will consider Alex Rodriguez if and when that expansion team to Seattle, in fact, happens. For now, I'm sticking with the curse. Speaking of the curse, though, there was steam. There was steam for a period of time well, about basketball. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, wow. Save it. Because we're going to look back on our bold predictions for 2021 made on this podcast one year ago. All right, starting off with my bold predictions. Number one, my correct bold prediction for now, Jamal Adams becomes the first safety ever to sign for more than $16 million a season. Indeed, after a hold-in, Adam signed a deal for four years and up to $72 million on August 17th. Uh, my number two. This, C- congrats to you for getting that one right. You acknowledged that was a bold prediction because the, the market at that point, no one had even signed for $15 million. It seemed like a bigger jump than now, it seems like. Number two bold prediction. Looking on track, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Rashad Penny. Leads wow. the Seahawks in rushing yards. 
He is 22 back of Alex Collins with two games remaining after his career-high performance on Sunday against the Bears. It turns out Rashad Penny, you know how Russell Wilson struggles in the rain? Rashad Penny is amazing in snow, and we just never realized until now. I think Rashad Penny was good before the snow. Played well in Houston as well. well, yes. I I mean, it's very exciting to see after a couple of years of struggling with the ACL injury that he suffered back in, in 2019. And so... Awesome development at the end of the season in in the other darkness of the Seahawks season. All right, now let's now let's look at, go to the bold predictions that were way off. Kate Otten becomes the first oh. tight end in UW program history to score ten touchdowns in a season. He actually scored one. Wow! After three and four games during the two, shortened 2020 season, but uh, Otten missed two games in health and safety protocols, and then the season's final two games with an undisclosed injury. So, uh, you know, not the kind of banner final season at UW that we were hoping for, Kate Otten, but uh, he's going to have a very long, successful career in the NFL, without a doubt. This one, so close. The Kraken will host the Vegas Golden Knights in their first game at Climate Pledge Arena. Lo and behold, the NHL decided to have them play their first ever game on the road at Vegas, but then they hosted the Vancouver Canucks in a derby match to open the arena. I feel like it was one of the two. I thought they would save the Canucks for later in the year, was my guess, because like you don't need to have a big, exciting game for the first game. There's going to be natural excitement. You can kind of save that for down the road. But alas, all right, next up, most hilariously, Mike Hopkins leaves UW at season's end to take a different college job. Now, obviously, I wasn't thinking he was going to get like a promotion. I thought he was going to go like to some mid-major to get ahead of being fired. Uh, You said back then that uh, you toyed with Hopkins getting fired and that, quote, he's keeping Will Conroy's seat warm. And then throughout, no, he's keeping Lorenzo Romar's seat warm. I, I thought about that as a bold prediction this year. Lorenzo Romar comes back? I, I think there's a legit possibility of it. It's possible. Pepperdine is not having nearly as strong a season I as don't, last year. I don't think it matters. All right, next up, 18-year-old homegrown product Ethan Dobelaire starts at least 10 matches for the Sounders across all competitions. Dobelaire started just twice after a promising conclusion to 2020, and 18-year-old Danny Leva. I was going to say Danny Leva. Wow. I was thinking of. Starting eight matches, Sounders also relied heavily on MLS vets Kellen Rowe and Nicola Benize. And you responded when I said this last year, when not Dan- not Danny Leva, which is proof that he's the one Sounders player you know. <laughs> Normally, you're not paying any attention during that segment, but you've heard Danny Leva's name. The one say you think I don't know who Kellen Rowe is? Well, you know Kellen Rowe because you are Kellen Rowe. <laughs> separated it i've never seen you two in the same place at the same time except for during the sounders match where i guess i did after leaving the storm as restricted free agent sammy whitcomb will lead the wnba in three-pointers for a new team another near miss whitcomb did join the new york liberty via sign and trade and she did make a career high 76 three-pointers but she finished second in the league to arike ogunbowale of the dallas wings and lastly and something that I was, I'm happy to not quite have been right about. We we were feeling a way about this last year to listen back to this podcast. OL Group will set a deadline of the end of the NWSL regular season for a decision on a possible soccer-specific stadium in Tacoma. Instead, of course, 
they did consider a soccer specific stadium in Tacoma, but after determining that was unfeasible, decided to move to Lumen Field. And you said last year, the team's gone. <laughs> All right, now to your bold prediction. Oh, so I got I got one and we're still holding out hope of two of eight. Your bold predictions. Number one, Jordan Brooks will be a pro bowler. Wow. And this is the best part. You were feeling so optimistic this time a year ago. So different than you feel now. I toyed with LJ Collier as a pro bowler too. Wow, LJ Collier. I didn't you, say it. And look, I, for, the, for the record here, Jordan Brooks has not had that bad of a season. He's come on over the course of the season. Haven't heard a lot of Pro Bowl buzz. <laughs> it's funny. I was thinking of them having Bobby, like Bobby Wagner made the Pro Bowl, I think. Yes. And I, I really just don't think Bobby Wagner has had a good season. I, I don't, I have a lot seen of, any. there's a lot of inertia to Pro Bowl voting. Well, I mean, he leads the league in tackles where it's like, yeah, he leads that, the league in yeah, tackles. That's really a good thing. There's, there's ways that we think about football that maybe two decades ago we didn't. And the seat, like Bobby Wagner leading the league in tackles, you could just circle that time of possession that the Seahawks do not dominate. And right, right in the middle of that is Bobby Wagner leading the league in tackles. It's like there's, oh, there's a lot of plays to be tackled. There's a lot of plays to be tackled, and also the way that you gain that time of possession is by not getting that many yards. Exactly a Bobby Wagner amount of yards. So Jordan Brooks could get some steam as probably playing better than he actually is, just based upon raw numbers. Maybe next year. All right, the return of the fans was one of our top stories. You, the fan, were. Tristan's co-sports figure of the year, 75% sports figure of the year. He didn't think you were all going to be there at Lumenfield. His second bold prediction is that the capacity of Lumenfield will not be 100% for the first game of the 2021 season. And you said it related that you did not think there would be fans at a Seattle sporting event until after the 4th of July. Thankfully, we were able to move, move faster with vaccinations going well. And in reality, that was about when capacity went to 100% on June 30th. I think things were feeling kind of bleak last year. <laughs> they were they were feeling quite bleak. I said I like my bold prediction I was toying with was that the MLS preseason game would be the first with any fans. And I think the Mariners season opener ended up being be ahead of that. They delayed the start of the MLS regular season after we recorded the last year. All right, your next bold prediction. The UW football team will repeat as Pac-12 North champions and play in the Pro Bowl. In the, I'm sorry, in the Rose, Rose Bowl. Bowl. Yes. Pro Bowl would be really impressive for the Huskies. Uh, some Huskies are playing in the Pro Bowl. There's, you know, maybe someone will have, a team will have to drop out of the Rose Bowl at this point, and the Huskies could be called in. That that would be the only scenario. <laughs> it went so bad so fast. So fast. Your bonus prediction, I said, which I said was not bold enough, was that Sam Heward will start at least one game. Hey, yeah. I nailed That's it. correct. Again, not go. bold enough. I Not bold enough. I determined no is the is the bold predictions ombudsman. Wow. I determined that no Sam Heward predictions, positive or negative, were or just about playing were uh, bold enough. Damn. You're probably not going to let me boldly predict that for next year. <laughs> I'm not. All right. Next oh, up, my, Rose... my other Seattle Sports Star of the Year was Jake. <laughs> <laughs> you should have gone with that. Wow. 
That's way better than A-Rod. Let's edit that whole section out. No, 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 no. I like I like the A-Rod one. You just wait. Wait and see. Alex Rodriguez is about to be I, a figure. I do not want to. think he's going to own a basketball team in Minneapolis? I'm pretty skeptical about that. I don't want to put all that on A-Rod. You think A-Rod uh, can't handle that kind of weight? He's the face of steroids. Alex Rodriguez played baseball in New York City. He can handle the pressure of being the owner of the Minnesota Timberwolves. All right, your next bold prediction. Rose Lavelle will never play a match for O.L. Reign in Tacoma. She, in fact, joined the team midseason in <laughs> August and played six at Cheney Field, 12, Cheney Stadium, I should say, 12 total after joining the team. Was I predicting that the team was going to move before then? That she or- would not come over this year because she was playing at Man City. At this point a year ago. And then the team would move. And then the team would move, yes. Because you were really convinced the team was going to move. I was pretty convinced. Tony Parker. Tony Parker did not prove to some other NWSL market the A-Rod to Seattle. I think it's a little different. It's very different. I, I get the feeling that if Tony Parker is like, I want to expand to Miami, the NWSL would be like, here you go. Great. <laughs> yes. All right. Your next bonus bold prediction Leo Messi will win MLS Cup in 2021. Oh, God. So good. Such. I mean, change teams, right? I mean, yes. We, we knew that he was probably going to change teams from Barcelona. Alas, PSG is not in MLS. I, I still think, I think it is potentially in the cards. Messi is the, he's the exact type of player. Or, or Ronaldo. One of those two players. I think to just get thrown a bunch of money and play in MLS. All right, next up. This is one of a classic Tristan four-port. I love that messy bold prediction. (laughs) A classic Tristan four-port bold prediction that's impossible to score. The M's will be in the playoffs as of May 31st. Check. Before falling back to fourth at the end of season. Ah. And the city of Seattle will be enraptured by baseball for the first time in decades. Uh Uh-huh. Done. Behind the MVP candidacy of Kyle Lewis. Oh. I'm giving myself two out of four there. Uh, no, the M's were actually two games out of the playoffs as of May 30, 31st. Before... I said they would be in the playoffs as of May 31st? Not yeah. in contention? Oh, okay. No, in the playoffs. <sighs> they finished second in the AL West, and Lewis played just 36 games before undergoing season-ending surgery to repair a torn meniscus. But the city of Seattle was definitely enraptured there by baseball. For the... <laughs> if you Check just would have on... bold predicted that one. That's you a pretty tenuous the... thing. Enraptured. There's a lot of like if we're coding here, ends and end signs on this <laughs> true if else statement. And then lastly, we will have the return of the NBA to Seattle announced by this point in 2021. So there was so much expansion steam this time a year ago, and it was almost exactly after the release of this podcast and the turn of the new year that all of a sudden the conversations with people in the know. Did not sound nearly as optimistic, and now the thinking is it's still several years off. What what happened? I I still don't understand. We have a full year. Where why was there steam? Why is there not steam a year later? Clearly, it was something that the commissioner Adam Silver was interested in floating as a trial balloon. It, I I think there will be more to go into at some point down the road, but it evidently didn't get the response from league owners in terms of the infusion of cash that he was thinking, and they decided to just kind of ride out the losses from the pandemic and not dilute the TV package. Oh, there's one more. Oh, I, I thought that was your last one. 
I forgot. You found about one it. more present under the tree. I did. Let wow. me go back. I've I've kept it in the other room because it's such a delightful package for us to open up. This year's Super Bowl will be a Bills Seahawks rematch with Hello. Russell Wilson outdueling Josh Allen to win his second Super Bowl of the Bills. Quote: I think they're a better team than the Chiefs. I I knew that the Seahawks weren't actually going to go to the Super Bowl last year. <laughs> For what it's worth, that was more it's of like tradition. That was like an honorary Super Bowl prediction. And the real, the real fun is your choice of the AFC team to pick the to oppose the Seahawks in the Super Bowl, which I don't know if you've ever gotten that one right either. Have you? I don't think so. No. Well, I probably could just predict the Chiefs every year. Yeah, that'd be a much safer prediction. It's time for our 2022 bold predictions. Uh, do you have a, a team or an area you want to start with? I think you should run through some of the... I See, I only did Mariners, Seahawks, Husky football, Husky basketball. Okay. So run through the other sports because I, I ran the gamut. All right. Number one, U.S. Women's National Team member Katarina Macario, the two-time Herman Trophy winner, is the best player in college soccer at Stanford, will lead O.L. Reign in scoring. Now, this is a bold prediction because she is not currently on <laughs> O.L. Reign's roster. But... Macario signed with Olympic Lyonnais in January, foregoing her four final season of eligibility at Stanford, and is currently the team's joint leading scorer with seven goals in League One play. So a loan to Seattle at some point into the rain seems inevitable, and I'm betting that it's going to happen this season, and she'll take the place, the role that Eugenie Laysomere filled last year as kind of the, the goal-scoring import from OL. Fair enough. Did you research that or did you know that going in? Well, I researched that. Okay. The Kraken will trade Mark Giordano to his hometown Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, the Leafs are currently tied for fourth in the East with 42 points, just two out of first place in the conference. So it'd be an opportunity for him to pursue a Stanley Cup and in Toronto just winning a playoff series since talking about a franchise that has been cursed. Uh, Giordano's a free agent at season's end. So it seems very likely with, that with the Kraken season heading towards the lottery, they're going to trade their veteran leader somewhere else. I have no idea if this is bold or not, but I'll accept it. Was a trade to a specific team? I guess so. You outlined why it was pretty obvious, though. I mean, there's also some talk of him being traded back to the Calgary Flames, the team that gave him up in the expansion draft. So that's a possibility. He'll be in Canada either way. Speaking of players in their 40s, the Seattle Storm sends Subert out a champion, winning the fifth title in franchise history in front of home fans at Climate Pledge Arena, which would be the first championship they had won at home since 2004. All right. You you talked last year about uh, your your 2019 super bold predictions were not good, not good. Let me tell you. All right, and lastly, you didn't have any Sounders. I I really just I feel like the Sounders are just going to have a Sounders year. It it was tougher than usual. I felt like I toyed with, well, my my bold prediction is that Jordan Morris will lead the Sounders in MLS goal scoring, having last done so in 2016. He finished second to Real Ruiz Diaz in both 2019 and 2020, and Ruiz Diaz could be on his way out of Seattle with no long-term extension in place after the Sounders picked up his 2022 option. So the bold prediction is partially that Ruiz Diaz gets transferred elsewhere. Do you think that there's a chance that Jordan Morris explores Europe again? 
I think it's unlikely unless he has another big MLS season and kind of reproves his value. I don't think that he's going to have the same kind of value that he did last year. When we recorded this podcast before the uh, loan was announced, and uh, that was that was one of your, I think it was one of your 2019 bold predictions that 2020 would be Jordan Morris's last season with the Sounders, and uh, you you technically didn't get that correct, but the spirit of that one was fully correct. All right, I've done four now. Let's let's have you do one. Well, so you would think. That after these months that we've been through this crack and curse, you saw the positivity in my bold predictions last year. For the most part, there was actually some negativity in there. You saw the positivity in those bold predictions and how wrong I was in every single one. The the negativity was only about the oil rain moving. And I guess I guess you didn't fans. think the Sounders were going to win MLS Cup if you thought Leo Messi was going to win it, unless you thought that Leo Messi was coming uh, to the Sounders. But also about fans being in stadiums. Sure. And. So you would think that I would go all negative this year. We're in the middle of a curse. You would, you would learn your lesson. Absolutely not. <laughs> you gotta stay positive. You're leading into the shtick. Oh, it's not a shtick. I actually feel positive about these things. <laughs> and in the 2022 season, provided it happens, Jared Kellenick will be selected for the AL All-Star team. Okay, that's that's pretty bold considering the way he struggled as a rookie. Uh, my Mariners bold prediction. With a new CBA mitigating the benefits of service time manipulation, Julio Rodriguez breaks spring training with the Mariners to start the season at age 21. There we go. Rodriguez crushed both A-ball and double A-ball last season around his participation in the Tokyo Olympics, combining for a 347, 441, 560 slash line. Put this man in the major leagues, Mr. DePoto. Now, I, I normally would agree with you about that. However, if you recall my first bold prediction about Jared Kelenic, how badly Jared Kelenic played <laughs> through the first six, seven months of the season, I think they're going to be unlikely to rush... Um, Julio Rod, what is his nickname? What Rod? J Rod? They call him something like that. Uh, I think they're going to be unlikely to rush Julio Rodriguez because they don't want him to struggle for like six months. Fair. This is also why it's a bold prediction. Sure. But given the Jared Kellenic season that he's about to put together, the addition. Well, apparently, you know what he goes by, if I'm what? reading this correctly. What? A Rod. <laughs> no, no, that's not. No, that's Alberto Rodriguez. Sports no, figure of the year, that. baby. Who knows who I'm talking about? That's a different, different Mariners. Mariners Crushed single A and double A. That's the Seattle sports figure of the year if, by Mariners standards. No, not true, sadly. Given the Jared Kellenic play, the additions that they've already made this offseason, uh, and still more to come if the uh, uh, CBA is signed, the Mariners will finally in their 20th season since they last made the playoffs and their playoff drought playing in the American League play-in game. I believe this would be their 21st season. It's like the 2022 is the 20th season since the year. They made the playoffs in 2001. So it's 2020, 2002 to 2022. 20 yeah, years tw later. That's, that's 21 seasons, though. The 20th anniversary of them missing the playoffs <laughs> for the first time. Okay, there you go. Fine. 
All right, you know football? Or no, you 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 know men's basketball. In Mike Hopkins' last season as UW head coach, which is not even a bold prediction. I feel like that's set in stone at this point. But uh, it's not probably not a bold prediction. I don't know if I agree it's set in stone. UW men's basketball will not win a Pac-12 conference game in the 2022 season. Do you know how bad you have to be to not win a Pac-12 conference game? Like there have been some amazingly bad teams that have not gone over in Pac-12. That's and de- not counting forfeits. <laughs> there are no more forfeits. That's in the rundown for next week. The okay, good. Pac-12 has eliminated those. Uh, Ken Palm's current projection is for the Huskies to finish five and fourteen in conference play, not counting the UCLA game, which may now be rescheduled now that UCLA doesn't get a free victory out of it. Uh, I'm going to go back through here and look up the last time because I know it has happened, but it's been a long time. Like. There was a Cal team that finished 244th in Ken Palm. They won two games, including I think they beat UW. <laughs> the, the problem is UW can't play themselves. That That is the downside, although you know who they can play. Who? Cal. Cal. Uh, in 2008, Oregon State went 0-18 in Pac-12 play. That team was ranked 246th in the Ken Palm rankings. Their best win of the season was over number 235, Northern Colorado. So I, I feel like this year's UW team, they've like shown some ability to play well at times. I mean, they got a, a good win over South Dakota State, a top 100 team on a neutral site. It's just that they also have a number of very embarrassing home losses. My UW men's basketball bold prediction the Huskies hire Todd Golden as a replacement for Mike Hopkins, creating a basketball Apple Cup rivalry of the last two San Francisco head coaches. Golden was an assistant to Kyle Smith before replacing Smith when he took the Washington State job. While Smith has Washington State at its highest Ken Palm ranking in a decade, USF has hardly suffered their off to a 12-1 start. Hello. With a win at Arizona State earlier this month, 32nd in the Ken Palm rankings, the highest in program history. Wow, why would you leave there for the University of Washington? <laughs> Cuz you're still playing in the the uh West Coast Conference and the funding at USF is not the same. Among other things, I went to go look up how how well has Todd Golden recruited. They are San Francisco just does not even exist in the 24/7 sports recruiting database for some reason. That's wow. the level at which they're playing. Damn. So I, I think UW would be a significant step up. And I told you earlier there was a bold You should prediction. ask Mark Few whether he wants to take the UW job. Go back in time 20 <laughs> years. Take the UW job. Tell, tell Todd Golden about that. I don't think that Basque men, despite their amazing tradition at USF, the home of Bill Russell, uh, Casey Jones, among other many, uh, many other legends there back in decades ago i don't think they're going to occupy the center centralist place in san francisco sports culture that gonzaga plays in spokane is their de facto professional team uh I, I, anyway i told you there was a bold prediction that was my favorite in terms of it's the one that i most want to happen this is it todd golden is the guy if if mike hopkins gets fired we'll make a list of coaches but todd golden is the only candidate I'm there will only in. be one name on that list do yeah. Do you think that there were going to be other teams in the mix for Todd Golden services, though? Like, yeah, yes, I I would think that. I mean, he'll be a trendy candidate, especially they haven't made the NCAA tournament in decades, even under Kyle Smith. No, I mean, the funny thing about the Kyle Smith hire, which has worked out phenomenally, phenomenally well, and I think it's part of this is that 
I think they're looking that uh, the UW athletic department looks over at Pullman with Kyle Smith envy at the moment. Uh, he had never even coached in the NIT before he got to Wazoo. Really? So, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, so the, the level of play, the resources and everything like that are smaller in the West Coast Conference, but the level of play is easier in the Pac-12, so it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's funny because it's real. Uh, 1998 was the last time the USF went to the NCAA wow. tournament. Before that, you have to go back to 1982. I'll tell you this right now. <laughs> Kyle Kyle Smith is like Dan fucking Monson over here, right? Todd Golden, just keep that job. This is my advice to you if you're listening to this podcast, Todd Golden. Do not take this job. Be happy in San Francisco. Go to the NCAA tournament. Be ranked number 32 in Ken Palm. You do not need the University of Washington. I do not endorse this advice. Actually, Cal's better than I thought they were this year. They're even five <laughs> non-conference play, so go. there may not be any other openings in the Pac-12. And you know, I don't. I kind of assume that a West Coast opening would be more attractive to somebody who's coaching at USF than going elsewhere. Although he's not from the West Coast, I don't believe. Wow. All right, Todd Golden. Yeah, we're gonna be keeping an eye. We need to have a Todd Golden update <laughs> the way that we do Jake Hayner. There you go. Because we need something else to follow. <laughs> 36 years old? Wow. Oh, yeah. From Phoenix, he, Arizona? He's actually from the West Coast. There you go. Played oh, at St. Man. Mary's. Let's go. God, there are people who are 36 years old who are potential head coaching candidates at the University of Washington. I can't what really stomach doing? that. What are you doing with your life? I know. I know. I'm not on your list at all. I mean, I would endorse hiring you because I would run the team, manipulate you. <laughs> You you wouldn't endorse hiring yourself though. I want to be behind the scenes. You don't football. All right. Well, I'm I'm down with Todd Golden. Uh, for the third year in a row, I will predict that. <laughs> led led by the new duo of Caitlin DeBoer and Michael Penix Jr. I mean, you could easily boldly pr- predict that Sam Heward or even Dylan Morris are going to start a game next year, but uh, not not sufficiently bold. We Michael Penix Jr. has never finished a season healthy in his career. The Huskies are going to easily win the Pac-12 North. Led, easily led, win the Pac-12 North. Easily win the Pac-12 North. Led by this duo with Kalen DeBoer completely turning around the offense. Instantly, it's a Pac-12 North that is wide open at this point. There's there's a change in power in Oregon. And Oregon looks like a completely wildly different team. I don't believe in Wazoo at, at all. The Pac-12 North, is it's right there for the taking. If it would have been Jake Hayner, it would have been the college football playoff. If it's just Michael Penix Jr., it's just the Pac-12 North. But that's the kind of talent that this team has. And even... I mean, they were ranked going into this season. Everything fell apart. But sometimes when things fall apart, the pieces are still there and you just need a season to regroup. You need to get the right people in place. And that is who Kalen DeBoer is. And that is what will happen to UW football next season. I don't think they're going to win the Pac-12 North for the record. But I do have an optimistic, bold prediction. Which is that UW football begins the Kalen DeBoer era in earnest by upsetting a Michigan State team ranked in the top 10 at Husky Stadium in September. Oh, just lock it in. Michigan State is not going to be ranked in the top 10. That's the only piece that's off. I mean, they're, I don't, 
you know, I have no idea. Like they've got their quarterback is coming back, as far as I know. They're in the top ten now. They're going to play Connor Cook. <laughs> Kirk Cousins. I had to go look up who their quarterback was. I had, I was not familiar with his work. I've got to be honest with you. I, I've already forgotten who it was. Connor Cook is almost old enough to be a UW basketball coaching prospect. Uh, Peyton Thorne, who is a uh, sophomore, who sounds is, like a football player, is their quarterback, and he'll he'll be coming back next season. So possibly Kenneth Walker, who read for sixteen hundred and forty six yards this year. I mean, they're playing in the Peach Bowl. They're and they have they have two relatively easy games to start two thousand twenty two at home. So I I think there's a pretty good shot at them being in the top ten, and that's what made it the bold prediction because just beating Michigan State isn't necessarily sufficiently bold. That team is trash. UW's going to win that game easy. <laughs> they're not trash, but I, I think they're probably a little overrated. They're, they're next year's University of Washington. Oh, boy. Well, I, I really hope that they're not going to make a coaching change next year. <laughs> For the, the <laughs> taxpayers in the, city, in the state of Michigan's sake? <laughs> I do, yeah. Mel Tucker. That would be a lot of, lot of money to swallow. Seahawks. I'll start with Rashad Penny. You had a you had a prediction about him this year. Uh, coming back to Rashad Penny, he'll be a Pro Bowler in 2022. No, whether it's the Seahawks or not, he will be a Pro Bowler in 2022. You know, I'm just going to take the Rashad Penny Renaissance as it comes. I'm not putting any expectation expectations on it. I'm just happy to see him healthy and playing well. I. I've been on the Rashad Penny bandwagon for a long time. I don't know if you recall, but uh, not, not during draft night. Well, it's it's different. I, this is not relative to where he was drafted, which was wrong. But as a player, he is a good running back. And when he was injured, we talked about this a couple of years ago. Was that two seasons ago? Or was that last year? I think it was two seasons ago when he got injured. Maybe it was that Rams game. Yes. And the offense completely cratered once he was off the field. Like he, he makes a difference to the Seahawks offense. I don't know if I'd go that far. And was by far the best running back the Seahawks had all season for any significant period of time this season. That is accurate. All right. You wrap up your Seahawks world predictions. I'm going to say mine for last. None of the four of the Seahawks power structure, GM, head coach, offensive coordinator, or defensive coordinator will return in 2022. Whether it's a bold prediction or not, it's going to start with, I, I think it'll be like dominoes one by one, where it's, I think it's Pete and John together at the end of the season. Then pretty much instantly after that, Shane Waldron and Ken Norton. For all that Shane Waldron, the hype that we put on him heading into the season, you want to talk about not putting too much pressure on somebody. A-Rod can handle the pressure to be the owner of the Minnesota Timberwolves. <laughs> Shane Waldron could not handle the pressure of being the offense coordinator of the Seattle Seahawks just because the, the amount that we put on him heading into the season. We had a podcast talking about basically the entire season hinges on whether Shane Waldron can do his thing, which still kind of remains incomplete, but he's a oh, Pete Carroll yeah. guy at this point. You know, and, you mentioned this earlier that when we were talking offline that the Seahawks have some wins that look better now. And I responded, you know, I, I questioned that uh, and Houston was in there because Davis Mills has actually legitimately played that's, well. That's our wins. That, there just aren't that many wins to look better. So, well, But also then you reminded me that we thought it was no big deal when the Seahawks beat the Colts in week one. And all of a sudden 
it looks like a pretty impressive victory. And it was a day that was, it was, I, I just can't even describe the, it's like you'd been think, hoping for something for so long and then it happens. And that was seeing the Seahawks offense unveiled with Shane Waldron. And then just, that was it. It was gone by the second half of the second game. No, it was gone by the first half of the second game because they weren't running any motion. It was gone, but I mean, it's kind of incredible. D. Eskridge got hurt, and that was it. Like, that that was the season. We've seen blips of it here and there, but uh, not not on a consistent basis. Yeah, I I mean, I I almost think that Pete Carroll alone is not bold enough at this point, but the entire power structure, I think that qualifies. I'll, I'll give you that I one mean, as a bold prediction for sure. If Pete's gone, everybody else is gone. Probably so. All right, is that all you have on the Seahawks? I mean, I, I can boldly predict that they'll go to the Super Bowl next year if you'd like. <laughs> we'll save that for the 2022 bold predictions. My last my last bold prediction is that heading into the 2022 regular season on the Bill Barnwell uh, NFC West preview podcast, he will predict that the Seahawks will win the NFC West. <laughs> I love it. That's that's terrific. All for you for it. Okay, so I didn't have a Seahawks necessarily specific prediction, but it, this encompasses them. My last bold prediction. Vulcan announces the closure of Vulcan Sports and Entertainment and places the Seattle Seahawks and Portland Trailblazers for sale. Now, Obviously, this is something that's been speculated about since Paul Allen passed away in 2018. But I think a keynote that nobody has really made any, any uh, you know, paid attention to that I've seen in the Seattle media. When Chris McGowan stepped down as president of the CEO of the Blazers last month, he also left his role as CEO of Vulcan Sports and Entertainment, which he added when Peter McLaughlin left, left the Seahawks as president in 2018. The natural succession at that point would have been to just promote Seahawks president Chuck Arnold, who replaced McLaughlin. The fact that they didn't do that, there's no speculation about who might be the president of Vulcan Sports and Entertainment. And the timing of the Jody Allen as executor of Paul Allen's estate has managed to unwind many of the investments that Allen made last year. They closed uh, Vulcan uh, Productions, I believe, which, which produced films. And the Cinerama also. It's fucking ridiculous. Cinerama, yes, was part of that. I'd rather them close the Blazers than Cinerama. <laughs> what would I do? Where am I going to go to games? I can probably go to movies. I do, first of all, I don't want to go to movies. It's Get on a, a plane and go to Minneapolis. That's what Adam Silver wants. <laughs> as few teams in the Northwest as possible. So I think the timing is right. The 2022 is going to be when we see that long-awaited sale sign placed officially on the Seahawks and Blazers. Wow. I mean, especially interesting timing in the context of the possibility of a complete, you know, management shift for the Seahawks. Do you think that changes anything with the management shift? If let's say that this was actually going to happen, let's play the story out. The timing for Jody Allen to do this would be before making any changes. You would think, but you're not going to be able to, unless you're currently in negotiations behind the scenes and you announce some sort of deal in the, within the first week or two of 2022, then there's not really going to be time for a new owner to be involved. If that happens, I will be very impressed by your bold prediction. <laughs> <laughs> I, would be, 
We're doing a lot of victory laps if that comes true. Uh, some other Seahawks thoughts generally. I think this could be DK Metcalf's last season with the Seahawks. I considered that possibility that they did not. I considered the possibility that they did not reach an extension with him. I don't know if I necessarily think that they would trade him. Although I feel like you could get a pretty good haul in return if you decided to trade DK now. I, I didn't look at the contract, but I also think this could be Bobby Wagner's last season with the Seahawks. I'd still be more surprised by that. I think he's got one year left on his deal after this. It'll be now, very interesting to see if the, if there was a new front office to come in, how they viewed this roster. And, and I think that's what would be especially fascinating is... Again, if there was a new power structure, especially involved in player personnel, most likely would not be a scenario where there was a coach and a GM so closely linked, as we've seen with Pete and John. Right. Typically, those situations aren't the case. And I think it would be a more independent front office and then head coach, whomever that would be. Knowing the types of coaches that are out there, though, this is honestly, this is the perfect moment to do that. If the Seahawks were to move on from Pete Carroll or vice versa, the they would be the most desirable job on the market. And if if they had the sense about them to look at some of the candidates that are out there, the Byron Leftwiches, the Eric B. Enemies, the Brian Dables, right? Names like that who are waiting to become head coaches who have very good experience at the coordinator level. Being able to come in and coach Russell Wilson would be an extraordinarily desirable thing to do, knowing that that it's a bit of a tenuous situation and understanding that. But that person would come in solely as a head coach and there would be a front office staff. And I think there'd be a major, major overhaul of the roster. I mean, we saw that when Pete and John came in in 2010 and the record number of transactions they made that first year. I mean, I think this roster is certainly in a better place than it was after the end of the Mike Holmgren era and the short-lived uh, Jim Elmore era. There were no Hall of Famers on that team, but like... Right. There was, there was no Russell Wilson on that team. Or Bobby um, Wagner or somebody Bobby like Wagner. that. But yeah. By the way, it would be a, a, a thirteen, a $16.6 million savings if you waived Bobby Wagner next year. So, can't say I rolled that out. I'm going to add that as an official bold prediction. Okay, I, I, wanted, I wanted to look at the contract. But I, the productivity versus it, even no matter who the infrastructure is, if it's a new if it's a new staff, if it's the Pete Carroll team, I think they look at it as yes, there's a lot of productivity from Bobby Wagner, but he seems to be getting worse every season. It's a massive savings, and it's a strange position to invest in, especially in the way that they coach and how they use linebackers. He's just he's not doing that much, you know. I mean, I think there's there's some things he maybe could be doing more of. Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen Bobby Wagner blitz nearly at all this season, which used to be one of his strengths. Maybe that's a case of his physical decline. But I literally cannot that, remember Bobby Wagner blitzing this year me, a single time. Uh, but is that because of the fact that they've been so consumed with trying to figure out how to make Jamal Adams fit? I, I don't know that. Uh, I mean, I think the other possibility would be a restructure. But if you're Bobby Wagner, I think you'd rather go out in the market and try to lock in one last long-term deal at age 31 or 32. So, And, and also just understanding, I mean, we saw it with KJ Wright, what the market looks like for linebackers. And I think the Seahawks, they get that, right? They were willing to move on from KJ Wright, probably incorrectly move on from KJ Wright. It's probably hurt them on the field, but... And off the field. It, KJ Wright it forever will be missed. But like... 
Bobby Wagner is not playing an important enough role on the team to warrant the kind of money that he's making, at least in this defense and probably with any defense. But you're also talking about a, a management group, which again may not be in place, that thought that it made sense to draft an off-ball linebacker in the first round. So they they may not end a running back for that matter. And a run stopping turns out is actually a 3-4 defensive tackle in in LJ Collier. So their their understanding of positional value may not be strong. LJ Collier, I, I don't, I'm not a football person or whatever. I don't I don't know the terminology that well. I think his position is inactive. <laughs> you know, he's had some moments the last couple of weeks. He had moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. No, there were two. He had some moments. There moment. were two. <clears throat> it, this this ultimately is what the story will be probably maybe it's not going to be a 2021 story as much as it will be a 2022 story, but how the Seahawks are different next year and yeah. The the end of this run. And I think that's what 2021 was about for the most part was Seahawks were an aging team for about a decade. They were a great team for about a decade. And through that time period, they aged, they lost a bunch of players. They didn't draft well. They made poor decisions with their draft picks. And, and it had to, it had to come down at some point. We had that yeah. Russell Wilson injury that we look at the third most important sports story of the year. And that's why we are at the place that we are. And there's going to be major changes going forward. What those are, we can only predict at this point, but excited to see what they are in 2022 as covered here on the fabulous Pelton cast. Thank you so much for listening along with us. I look forward to reconvening a year and seeing that all of these predictions, remarkably, even the ones that conflict with each other were correct. (laughs) On that note again. Wow. (laughs) That's what happens when we're on Zoom. Hopefully next year we'll be able to do this in person. Uh, on, on that note, thank you again for listening with us through 2021. Uh, we've seen this year, it's been a really fun year covering Jake Hayner so much and how things have evolved through the curse, through the Mariners being good. Uh, and in 2022, we've got all sorts of great storylines planned out for you, including the return of Coach's Corner as I'm coaching two basketball teams this winter. It's the only thing we'll have to pay attention to when the Seahawks don't play in the playoffs. Not And not you have men's basketball either. Oh man, it's going to be dark. How, what years are we going to remember? we're gonna become an in-depth draft podcast to figure out who we'll take in with our second round pick pick 37 or whatever a lot of kraken draft coverage oh god but you, you sort of alluded to this like it's been an awesome year for the community of the pelton cast listener and the inside jokes and everything that's going on in this podcast And as always, you make this podcast so much more fun to do and so much better as a product than how terrible it is otherwise. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Thanks.